Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Something powerful about reminding ourselves what God says about us, about reminding ourselves what the Word declares over us. And I think one of the reasons that song is so powerful is because it's just scripture. We're just proclaiming scripture over our lives. What God has already said, we're echoing what God has said. And there's something so powerful about that. And whether you're in the room or whether you're joining us at church at home, I hope you feel encouraged about this new semester, about this new season, that we don't know all the answers but we know who holds the answers. We know who to run to. We know how to link arms and encourage each other and pray for each other and speak scripture over each other. So let's just keep moving in the right direction. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm Pastor Amanda. I serve as one of your associate pastors here along with my husband. And we grew up together in this church. A lot of you know our history, um, but back in the day, our senior pastors, Jeffrey and Amy Smith, were our youth pastors. And so we've been here a long time. <clears throat> we've been through a lot of ups and downs, um, through some of the greatest highs, some of the most difficult lows, through some of the greatest joys. You know, right here on this stage is where we set our vows. Right there is where we dedicated our miracle baby after a season of infertility. And also through some of the deepest pains you know, we've been here for many funerals and difficulties in our lives, but I'm here to declare to you today that through it all, through every season, through every high, through every low, God is faithful. God is faithful even when the faithful don't always feel it. God is faithful. And I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and I think some of the most defining moments in my life have actually been some of the more difficult moments. Of course, when you're in them, you wanna do everything to get out of them as quickly as possible. But when you're able to look in hindsight after you've walked through them, you can see God's hand all over it. You can see how God created purpose out of something broken. He traded beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the spirit of heaviness. But it can be confusing when you pray faith-filled prayers. Truly, your heart has no doubt Got the faith of a mustard seed or maybe a sunflower seed on a good day. And then you don't see those prayers answered in the way that you thought you would or the way you think you should. And it can be difficult to wrap our head around the evils of injustice when we serve a God who demands justice. It can be difficult to picture blessing when all we feel is attack. And so what do we do when our faith clashes with our circumstances? What do we do with that as believers, as children of God? And sometimes as a human, it's just tough when we don't get our own way. Can we be real? Let's tell the truth in church. We don't like not getting what we want, no matter how old we are. Um, and I know I'm not the only one who's felt like this before, right? Yeah? Can you give me a wave? Can you type in the chat, like, I'm with you, Pastor Amanda? So what do we do? How do we handle the promise of God's goodness amidst difficulty, amidst horrible circumstances? Well, I have some good news. The Bible talks about that. And Mary and Martha know a little bit about that kind of situation. 
In the New Testament, we see the sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus, they were actually really close to Jesus. They regularly played board games. Um, they probably went fishing together. They hung out. They ate together. They talked together. They were really close friends. And in fact, Jesus' disciple John, who wrote the passage we're about to read, he noted specifically that Jesus loved them. So, you know, you have... You have like some friends, but then you have like your close friends, the friends that you really, really love, the friends that you can't wait to hang out together with. So they spent time together. They had a relationship. And if you have your Bible, would you open it to John chapter 11? We're going to dive into a passage there. And in John chapter 11, I'm going to set it up for you. The sisters sent word to Jesus that their brother, his dear friend Lazarus, was sick. Jesus and the disciples were about a two-day journey away from where the sisters and brother lived. Um, and they got the message. Jesus got the message. And even though he loved them, the Bible tells us Jesus specifically stayed where he was for two more days. Interesting. He loved them, but he stayed where he was. Then, after two days, he finally told his disciples, okay, let's roll over to Lazarus' neighborhood. So let's pick up in our text scripture for today, which is John chapter 11. We're going to read verses 17 through 20 and then 28 through 37. So John chapter 11, verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained, remained seated in the house. And then the, the passage talks about um, Martha and Jesus having a conversation where Jesus confirmed that Martha believes he is the Messiah. And let's pick up in verse 28. Martha went and called her sister Mary, say, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise up quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And if you're familiar with this story, you know that the next few verses are where Jesus performs a pretty famous miracle of calling Lazarus out of the tomb and raising him from the dead after four days. But Lazarus had been sick for several days and then dead for four days. What did Martha and Mary go through during that time? Before the miracle came a season of waiting. If you're taking notes, write down The Waiting Room. It's the title of this message, The Waiting Room. Let's pray. 
Father God, thank you that we get to come into your house, that we have free access to your presence. We have the privilege to read your word and learn more about your character, about your heart, about who you are, God. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. Help us to see your faithfulness even when we don't always feel it, God. Illuminate your word today and prepare our hearts to receive your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a phenomenon in our culture that we all have to experience. And it's so awful that almost every time it happens, I have to go treat myself to a frappuccino afterwards because I'm traumatized. And it is waiting in a waiting room. You feel me? And I feel like the most um, notorious examples are the doctor's office and the DMV. And neither of those have particularly warm and fuzzy feelings associated with them. It's like, why do I make an appointment when I have to wait a good 20 minutes to 20 days before they're going to call my name? And, you know, I'm not knocking doctor's offices, thank God for doctors. And I, I imagine that there's like someone who, when they make their appointment, they're like, I just have a sore throat. And then when they see the doctor, they like pull out this book of like 20 questions. Like, so I get it. I get it. But waiting isn't fun. You know, this month, my husband and I, we just celebrated 10 years of marriage. So excited about that. But early on in our newlywed season, we had a really scary scenario happen. And it happened to be during blink season because, of course, it would happen during blink season. So my husband starts not feeling really well. And we're both tired from being on these film shoots. I'm like, okay, I'm a young wife. I need to, you know, I'm like, you're acting really, really sick. Do we need to go to the hospital? And he's like, no, no, no. I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to sleep. Love you. And in the middle of the night, he wakes up in excruciating pain. And I was like, do we need to go to the hospital for real? And he's like, yes, right now, I think I'm dying. And I was like, okay, hazard's on, here we go. And we drive to the ER and we're waiting in the waiting room. And um, it, <laughs> he, guys, I'm not knocking my husband, you know. But you know how there's usually one spouse who like when they get sick, they still have to like clean and cook and take care of the, f and then there's one spouse who when they get sick, they're dying. Use your, use your imagination as you will, guys. But um, <laughs> waiting is hard. And sometimes you are in pain while you're waiting. And so we're sitting in this waiting room. We're one of two patients in the, in the waiting room. And my husband, I love you, babe. We're in church. I have to tell the truth. My husband, a grown man, is laying on the floor screaming, please take me next. <laughs> and the poor receptionist, I mean, legitimate, he thought he was dying. He thought it was his appendix. He didn't know what was happening. Thank God it was only a kidney stone. I say that because it wasn't mine. But he was in a lot of pain and he didn't know. <laughs> okay, it was, a, it was only a huge kidney stone, but you survived, you're, you're fine. Thank you, Jesus. But when you are in pain, waiting is not your top priority. And Mary and Martha were in a crisis. They told Jesus, our brother is sick. 
They sent up an SOS, a flare, the bat signal. They said, Jesus, we need you and we need you now. And in our text, John tells us not just a great story, but this passage actually reveals the character and the nature of God. And so we're going to unpack that today. We're going to unpack just three simple ideas that we see in Jesus's response and in his character and in his nature. I just realized, hey, hallelujah, wall. How are you guys doing today? Good morning. Happy Sunday. Love you guys. So hallelujah, wall, are you ready to dive into the character of Jesus with me? Let's go. In John chapter 11, the story reveals not only how Jesus interacted with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but how he often interacts with you and me today. So this is good stuff. This is important stuff. So in John chapter 11, we see that Jesus got the message. And number one, Jesus came. He came. But not when they wanted him to. So how do you react when God's timing doesn't match yours? Do you get angry? Do you try to take matters into your own hands? If you're waiting to see God move in your life and you don't see anything, I want to encourage you, you might be looking in the wrong place. Because God is always moving. God is always working even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it. But sometimes we can have our perspective focused in such a small area that we miss what he's doing because we don't elevate our eyes to his perspective. Sometimes his priorities are not our priorities. And that hurts. That hurts real deep. We don't like not getting our way. We don't like not being the center of the universe. We don't like not seeing instant gratification when we pray. And I imagine that Mary and Martha thought Jesus would have come sooner, especially considering, number two, Jesus was close. Not only was he close to them in relationship, but the Bible tells us in John that Jesus was about 30 miles away from their village. Now, remember, he didn't have an Uber back then. So 30 miles would have been about two days worth of walking if they walked for about five hours a day. That's pretty doable when you walk everywhere all the time anyway. That's probably like a normal, normal walk. Jesus could have showed up sooner because he was close throughout the entire crisis. He was two days away when he got the news that Lazarus was sick and yet he chose to stay where he was for two more days. Jesus was close, but I imagine that Mary and Martha felt like they were being ignored. Haven't we felt that way before? I'm sure they questioned if Jesus even cared about the message that they sent. If he even cared about the prayers that they prayed and the pain that their family was in. It's too easy to question, does Jesus care when it feels like he's far away? When you don't see God moving, look for him somewhere else. Jesus stayed where he was for a reason because he always operates in purpose and reason. There were people in his path at that other village that needed hope too. There were people along that 30 mile walk that needed miracles too. And if we feel that Jesus meeting others needs 
deserves to come second place to him meeting our needs, our heart will never be in line with his priorities. We have to elevate our perspective. God is close to you right now, whether you're in a crisis or not. But I imagine Mary and Martha probably dealt with feeling alone. It's human. It's natural. That's okay when we feel that way. But we have to remind ourselves of the truth, which is number three, Jesus cared. Jesus came. Jesus was close. Jesus cared. Our text tells us that Lazarus had been dead for four days and the Jews came to mourn with Mary and Martha because the sisters were in Shiva. And Shiva is the Hebrew word and Hebrew custom for the first seven days of mourning after a relative had died. And it was custom during Shiva to stay within the house of mourning and fellow Jews would come over to pray to encourage, to share stories and memories, but it was custom to remain within the house during that Shiva period of mourning. And when Martha heard that Jesus was on his way, he hadn't even got to the village yet. She just heard Jesus is coming. She did something unusual by leaving the house. That wasn't custom. That wasn't normal. That wasn't what was expected of her. But instead she stepped outside of her grief to run to Jesus. How beautiful that she didn't see Jesus within the four walls of her home. She didn't see God moving in the way she had prayed. So she chose to step out of her pain and of her difficulty and run until she found him. Church, how often do we put up walls to protect ourselves when we are in pain, when we are in crisis, when we are in waiting And yet we're waiting and we're looking within our own walls and we're saying, God, why aren't you moving? God, why aren't you doing anything? I'm being faithful. I'm standing my ground. I'm standing right here. God, why aren't you moving? Why aren't you moving? Why aren't you moving? And yet sometimes we have to break out of those walls, break out of our barriers, break out of of the protection of the walls and step into vulnerability and run until we see Jesus working, until we see him moving because he's always working. He's always moving. Martha looked until she found him. Mary stayed in the house. Not necessarily because she was mad at Jesus, but because she was following the custom of staying in the house of mourning. When Martha told Mary, Martha came home and she said, Mary, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. Then it says Mary got up and ran. See, all Mary was waiting on was an invitation that Jesus wanted to see her, a divine appointment, an invitation. And what's funny is in John chapter 11, we don't even read if Jesus actually said that to Martha or not. So we don't even know if Jesus actually said that or not, but all Mary needed was the invitation and she got up and ran to Jesus. How many people in your world are desperately waiting for an invitation. They're stuck in their pain, in their grief, in their difficulty, in their questions. And maybe all it takes is you saying, hey, Jesus wants to see you. Hey, God has a plan for your life. Hey, he's been there for me when I went through that same situation. He can be there for you if you let him. You just have to run to Jesus. He wants to see you. 
He wants to comfort you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to turn your life around. But they might never know if they don't receive an invitation. How many people are hurting and needs to hear that Jesus wants to be there for them? But again, if we are so focused on our own life within our own walls, God, move here. God, change my life. God, fix things. We're missing the opportunity to extend the invitation for others. We're missing an elevated perspective to look around us to see who's hurting, who needs that hope. And as Christians, we have to remind ourselves our lives are not all about us. I know that hurts. We live in the 21st century, baby. Everything is about us. I can order food on my phone and they bring it to me. There's lots of other things, but I'm drawing, I'm like thinking of dry cleaning and nobody does that anymore because we're all wearing sweatpants all day. <laughs> but our world has catered to making our lives about us. <clears throat> and that is not the order in the kingdom. Jesus did not live that life that way. And we have to remember our lives are not all about us. Our lives, ooh, don't get mad at me. Our lives are not all about our prayers getting perfectly answered. Because God is not our personal servant. He's not a genie. This is not just, you know, I push this button and then this good thing happens in my life. That's not what life is. So when you don't see God moving, look for him somewhere else. Maybe God is trying to use you to help somebody else run to Jesus. Maybe God is moving in a different way than what you're focused on. You have to remind yourself, ask for the focus of heaven. Ask God to give you heavenly perspective. You know, at the very beginning of quarantine, you can look back in our podcast, literally the first week that all the world exploded, it felt like, all our worlds exploded. Pastor Jeff, our senior pastor, preached a message with a simple title that I've been clinging to. And it was simply, don't waste a crisis. And I remember as a church, we rallied around that. We're like, yeah, I'm going to organize my pantry. Yeah, I'm going to read the Bible more because I don't have to drive to work. Yeah, I'm going to have quality time with my family. I'm not wasting this crisis. I'm leaning in. And two weeks in, we're like, okay, I can keep leaning in. A month in, everything's organized. I don't know what to do now. And now, six months later, it's, it's painful to even say that. Six months later, we've had a lot of opportunities to grow weary and throw our hands up and say, I'm tired. I'm just going to wait till this crisis is over. I just can't wait to get back to normal life. I just can't wait until I can know what next week is going to look like. I just can't wait until I get back into the office or I get an, another job. I can't wait until the kids go back to school and I don't have to be the teacher. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. But the reality is sometimes God has us in seasons of waiting. And remember what I said, God always operates in purpose. And so while even we as a community, as a nation, as a church are still in a season of waiting in many ways, we can't waste this crisis. We can't throw up our hands because we're tired. 
We can't sit down and just give up and just let whatever happens, say la vie. No, we have to be purposeful in the wait. In verse 32, <clears throat> Mary fell at the feet of Jesus. And she said probably what we all would have said in that circumstance, if I'm being honest. She said, Jesus, if only you had been here. If only you had showed up. If only you had answered my prayers, this bad thing would have never happened. My crisis wouldn't be weighing on me so heavily. And she starts crying. So all of her friends start crying. And in that moment, verse 33 said, Jesus was deeply moved and greatly troubled. Some versions say that Jesus got angry. And at first, I thought that meant like Jesus was sad, that Mary was sad. Um, but when we read this story in context, we can easily see that Jesus was angry because he is not limited by time the way Mary just limited him by time. He's not as careless as Mary just made him out to be so careless. Jesus was angered by the spirit of unbelief. He was angered by the lack of trust. He was angered by the lack of hope. And in his humanity, and maybe even in his frustration, we have the most famous verse, because it's the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. In his care for his people who were so deeply hurt, and Jesus had that moment of, man, they, don't, they still don't get it. They still don't get my character. They still don't get what I'm capable of. In that moment, he wept. And upon seeing his emotion, Mary and Martha's friends were split. Some of them were like, oh, see, he really did love Lazarus. They really were BFFs forever. But then the haters, there's always going to be haters. The haters said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have shown up and healed this man when he was sick? Be careful who you surround yourself in in a crisis. What do people say when you're struggling with unbelief? It's not a bad thing to have those thoughts of unbelief come in, but do you pull up a seat and entertain them and say, stay a while, I'll pop some popcorn? No. You have to tell the spirit of unbelief where to go. You have to tell the spirit of doubt where to go. You have to tell the spirit of weariness that it may not have a hold any longer. Surround yourself with voices of hope in seasons of difficulty. Surround yourself with the word as we just declared. No matter what tomorrow brings, we know that God declares blessings over us. So that is what we are going to proclaim. That is how we are going to walk. That is what we are going to confess with our mouths. We have to surround ourselves with the truth of the word. Because difficulty is a vulnerable time. A questioning time is, is, is vulnerable. So who do you surround yourself with when you feel like God isn't there? When you don't see God moving, do you stop looking? Do you give in to the idea that your miracle will never come? Oh yeah, God, God did it for those people, but I guess he ran out of miracle power. Can't do it for me. 
won't do it for me. It's, it's incredible the lies that we can get ourselves to believe. Do we give in to the lie that God is far away? That, oh, well, you know, I haven't really read my Bible this week, so God's probably not listening to me. You know, I haven't been faithful this whole quarantine, and so I, I, de I deserve difficulty. Do we give in to the lie that God is so far away when the word tells us he's closer than a brother? He's, he is right next to us. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Do you give in to the temptation that God doesn't care? Oh, he has bigger things to worry about. He's got to like keep the universe in motion and the moon and the tide and all that complicated stuff. Why would he care about something so little that only applies to my life? But the reality is, Jesus will come. He does care. We've all been waiting on God before, and we've all been in a crisis looking for him to come through. So if you're still waiting, there's purpose in the wait. If you are still waiting, there is purpose in the wait. And hey, if you're in the waiting room, that means you're surrounded by other people who are sick and broken and dying, and they just need to hear the invitation, hey, Jesus wants to see you. Maybe that's why you're in the waiting room, because you are the assignment to be the voice of life and the voice of hope in a place of darkness. Maybe you're in the waiting room to invite someone to run to Jesus. Speak life, church. Your words have power, so use them wisely. Whether they are face-to-face -face or whether they are through a keyboard, speak life. Because we are in the waiting room together, and we might be the only voice of hope that some people hear. We have to use our words on purpose. And if you're still waiting on your miracle, it doesn't mean that God has forgotten about you. It doesn't mean that God has ignored you. It does not mean that God won't answer you. But don't waste your time waiting in inaction. Don't waste your time sitting there saying, well, I guess something will come around one day. No. When we're in pain, when we're desperate, it's okay to cry out, God, take me next, please. <laughs> that voice of desperation is okay. God wants to receive the good, the bad, and the ugly. So use your voice. Make a noise. Don't sit down in defeat. Don't sit down in indifference. Run to Jesus, stir up your faith, and hold on to hope that your miracle is coming. And when you come across someone who's hurting, because you will, when you come across someone who's hopeless, give them the invitation that Jesus is calling them. So what does this look like, especially in this season? Because I know this is the type of thing where like, yeah, Pastor Amanda, that sounds nice. I'm gonna give someone an invitation. And you ain't even sent one piece of mail this whole six months. So what does that look like? Well, I found in my life that when someone comes to my mind seemingly randomly, I just take that as a cue from the Holy Spirit. I need to pray for them. I need to reach out to them either through a call or a text or maybe actually write a card and send it in the mail. But I've just found that if God works purposefully, then someone coming to my mind isn't as random as it might seem. 
And so actually pray for people. And man, if, if you tell someone you're gonna pray for them, actually do it. Like either do it right then, put a reminder in your phone, whatever you need to do, because I don't wanna be guilty of telling someone I'm gonna pray for you. And then I don't actually do it. And then the opposite is also true. If someone comes to my mind and I pray for them, I don't wanna just pray for them and not reach out and let them know they're not alone. And so reach out and say, hey, you were on my mind today. I, I prayed for you and your family. How is everything? I love you. I'm here for you. I was reading this scripture today and it really encouraged me. Maybe it'll encourage you. We have to be responsible to give those invitations. We have to be an active participant in that process to reach out to others. Um, an encouraging note, a Facebook post, sending a gift card, like all of these things are little ways that we can infuse hope and, and bring connection with people. Your words matter more than you know. And so use them for giving life. And you know, I imagine in that period of Shiva, that grieving, that mourning, that brokenness, maybe even that anger and bitterness towards Jesus, I imagine Martha didn't feel adequate. Imagine she didn't feel put together like she was ready to be a minister of the gospel. But you know, it was out of a connection with Jesus. She had just had an encounter with Jesus and she was filled with hope, filled with love, filled with encouragement. She was just being herself. And in her encounter with Jesus and in her love for Mary, she said, hey, Mary, Jesus is here and he wants to see you. And so church, we don't have to be perfectly put together. We don't have to be 100% healed and on the other side of our crisis, we can still be in pain in the waiting room and still be used by God to give an invitation, to give hope, to give love, to give encouragement. You don't have to be perfectly put together to reach out to someone else. And today, if you've never heard those words, if you've never heard that invitation, I'm privileged to say Jesus is here and he wants to see you. He wants to meet you. He wants to put the broken things back together. He wants to infuse hope into your life. And if you've never invited him to be the Lord of your life, which just means surrendering control, which just means allowing him to be who he wants to be, in your life. He wants to be your restorer, your healer, your friend. He's here and he's got an invitation for you. Church, I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. And in this moment, if you would like to receive that invitation, to act upon that invitation, to run to Jesus, to make him your Lord and savior, would you just lift your hand up just high enough? It's just between you and God, this is a special moment if you're watching at church at home, you can hit the button, raise hand, and our team will connect with you to pray with you and encourage you. There's so many hands. Church, let's all pray this together. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being faithful. I yield my life to you. I choose to make you my Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose again to defeat sin and sickness in my life, to defeat spiritual disconnection from God in my life. 
this moment I choose to live the life where I make Jesus first, Jesus always. I trust you, I run to you, and I cling to your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.